Hey everybody, this is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries. We're an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles. That is believers in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And for as a t- Ephesians 2, and we what we do is we study the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible, from the point of view of Yeshua as a continuous revelation, and we discuss that and try to bring out those points. Um, as Ephesians 2 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So what are we going to talk about today, Jerry? Good morning, you guys, uh, and our listening audience. We hope you navigated the uh, change in time all right, and you are here with us this morning. Our Torah portion runs from Genesis 18 through Genesis 22, covers some uh, key moments of Abraham's life and culminates with what is called in the uh, Jewish tradition the Akedah, and that is the uh, sacrifice of Isaac that Abraham was called to make. Uh, We should point out that uh, the place that he was directed to take Isaac for the sacrifice is that place in Israel today that is called the Temple Mount. On that Temple Mount are those uh, two uh, Islamic holy spots, the Dome of the Rock and Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, Prior to their being there, however, that was the Temple Mount. That is the uh, place where both the first and second temples were built, and we should note that that location was secured back uh, by David. If you'll recall, there was a plague that had broken out, and he was called to go and purchase a piece of property and make sacrifice on that spot. That is the same spot that David purchased to stop the plague. It was an important pivot point Uh, for the Lord, since that was the place that he had uh, instructed Abraham to uh, offer up Isaac. So all of those things uh, come together then uh, when Yeshua taught his disciples that it was necessary for the Son of Man to go to Jerusalem in order to be handed over and to be uh, persecuted and put to death. So this spot Uh, In Jewish understanding, uh, they talk about Israel being the navel of the world, and Jerusalem is the navel of Israel, and the Temple Mount, this spot, is the navel of Jerusalem. So this this is that laser point of focus, if you will, that even the Lord uh, had designated from uh, Isaac's offering on, that this, this geographical point, this plot of land, has salvific importance. This is a key piece of the salvation story. It runs from Abraham through David, through the temples, through Yeshua. Mm -hmm. So the Akedah, the offering of Isaac, is uh, where our, our story ends in the Parsha today, but it begins in chapter 18 with, uh, a visitation. And it says at the beginning of 18, the Lord Hashem appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, that's near Hebron, uh, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. 
And so we want to take this seriously. This is an appearance by the Lord uh, that Abraham is, is able to perceive through his physical senses. It's not a vision. It's not a dream. The Lord appeared to him, right? Uh, he looked and he beheld there were three men standing in front of him, and he came and bowed down to the earth before them, and he said, O Lord, and that word there is not the name of God, which we translate capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, but this is Adonai, the word in Hebrew that simply means master or Lord. If I've found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant, let a little water be brought. And so Abraham uh, is immediately... Uh, seen in this part of the story, uh, and this is one of the things that he is uh, revered for in the Jewish tradition, for his generous hospitality, okay? And in fact, that is going to be set against the people of Lot who are uh, in direct contrast to Abraham, a people very inhospitable to strangers. So here we have Abraham, the generous host, and he gives commands for uh, water and milk and, and a, calf to, uh, a kid uh, to be slaughtered, bring, bring fine cakes. So he is, he is this uh, gracious host uh, at the beginning of this. And then they want to know about Sarah. Where's Sarah? And he says she's in the tent. And now we have the Lord. And again here, the word is that Hebrew name, the personal name of God. Uh, some pronounce it Yahweh. Uh, Jewish people would say Hashem or Adonai, but the Lord said to him. So remember, first it says the Lord appeared, the Hashem. Then we have, there's three men physically here talking with him, uh, partaking in his, in his meal. And this one of them says, who is called again, the Lord. And so as new covenant people, we take this to be what's called a theophany an appearance of God, and particularly uh, some people would go so far as to say a Christophany, that this is an appearance of Yeshua pre-incarnate, that he takes on uh, human flesh in order to appear and converse with Abraham. So that this actually, when it says the Lord, uh, the person talking to him is the second person of the Trinity, Messiah, Yeshua, before he was incarnate through birth through Mary. So it is Yeshua, uh, in, in, in this framework then, when it says, uh, Hashem, the Lord said, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. All right, so the angel of the Lord uh, is another personage that is often connected uh, to these pre-incarnate appearances of Yeshua. But here, the purpose of the visit is to talk about those covenant moments that we've already covered. You're going to be a blessing. I don't have any children. Don't worry, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the sands of the sea. Right? And so then there was the Ishmael incident. And God says, that's, that's, that's not it. <laughs> that's not it. I remember we had the conflict between Hagar and Sarah. He drives her away, no, bring her back. Uh, when Isaac is born, we're going to see that Ishmael uh, is, is sent away for uh, taunting or mocking uh, Isaac. And so the promise of offspring and a land and the blessing and all those covenant promises are not resident in Ishmael because he is a product of Sarah and Abraham kind of scheming to get their own way, right? right? We don't have enough faith at this point to trust God in whatever he's going to do. And, oh, this seems like a good idea. Let's, let's try this and see if anything happens, kind of an approach. And the Lord appears to him and says, no, Sarah, Sarah is going to have a son. I will surely return to you this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Then we have this little uh, peek behind the tent curtain, <laughs> if you will. And Sarah says, uh, <clears throat> basically uh, laughing to herself, the way of women had ceased to be with her. She laughed and said, after I'm worn out and my Lord, that is Abraham, is old, shall I have pleasure? And <clears throat> it says, 
Adonai, Hashem, said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's the, the, the point that we want to take here is beyond all fleshly expectation is where the Lord begins his work. This seems impossible, but he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And this is a theme that we see repeated, of course, with Mary when she says that. But, you know, right in... <laughs> chronologically speaking, right in the middle of Sarah and Mary, um, Jeremiah has this interesting verse. He says, Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens. Nothing is too difficult for you, right? And so we're called upon to consider that we serve a God who does, as Ephesians says, far above all that we could imagine or ask. <clears throat> and so, God makes the promise that through Sarah, he is going to fulfill the covenant. The child that is going to come to Abraham, the son that's going to come to Abraham through Sarah, is going to be the fulfillment of the covenant promise. Right. I, I think that when you were talking about this, it, not only, you know, sometimes Jewish people— you know, they mock the the how the virgin birth, right? You know, that Mary, the virgin birth of Yeshua, that Mary, how did Mary have a child that's not biologically possible from with God the Father? And, you know, it says right here, but they believe this part of the story, and it says right here in Genesis 18, uh, it says in 1812, uh, 11, it says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well-stricken age and had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So, you know, here she is at the end past her childbearing, and, you know, but they have faith, right? They trust that this was God keeping his promise that through Abraham and, and his seed through Isaac that he would be the father of many nations. So what, what you know, if you, if you have the faith to believe in that, is anything too hard for the Lord? It says right there in the next sentence. So I, I really don't think it's a good um, rebuttal Mm -hmm. you know, to the the right. story of the virgin birth, you know, of Yeshua. And, you know, and the other thing is, you know, when you were talking about this and you said this idea of theophany and Christophany, you can really see, you know, the angel of the Lord saying, oh, you know, this is the pattern. And then as we see the pattern in Isaac's life play forward with the Akita, we're really going to see something about a foreshadowing here of Yeshua. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Um, on the subject of uh, the virgin birth and why that is more difficult to believe than this, I mean, even going back, if, if we accept a God of the Genesis account— uh, in the beginning, God created everything out of nothing. Then getting a woman pregnant through uh, her own dead body or getting her pregnant through uh, outside intervention, the Holy Spirit came upon her, right? Uh, it's not that much of a stretch. No. If you've already accepted that God has, has made everything that there is uh, according to his will. And, so, and all the miracles that he's performed yet defy physics, mm -hmm. like, you know, the rotation of the earth on jo Joshua, that, that he made the day to 24 hours, also the parting of the Red Sea. That defies physics, but that's who, you know, that's mm -hmm. who God is. He's, he's in control. Amen. Amen. So uh, there's, there's this business about Sarah laughing because Abraham's going to laugh in, a, in about a year when, when all of this starts to take place. And then Isaac is actually named 
Isaac, which means laughter. And so there is, uh, we have to kind of step back and say that there's a laughter that mocks, a laughter that comes from the joy of belief, I suppose, right? <laughs> God, for real? Are you kidding me? Kind of laughter. Or God, <laughs> there's no way that's going to happen. Kind of laughter. And there, there, the scripture makes a distinction between those two. Sarah was definitely in the skeptical camp when she, when she laughed. And, you know, maybe in a way God asked her to name him laughter to kind of remind her in the future, you know, you didn't believe me. <laughs> and, and, he, and, and here he is, you know. So <clears throat> it says that uh, when they were done with their conversation, that they were ready to set out from there and go on down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And Hashem, the Lord, says to him, says, <clears throat> actually, this, this is kind of him reflecting within himself. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that he will surely become a great and mighty nation? <clears throat> All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Shall I hide this? So this is, this is a conversation with the Lord uh, himself. And a recognition here that he's about to deal with nations. Abraham's going to be a blessing to nations. How, you know, I mean, I, there's something very fitting about that. <clears throat> there's this, this strong statement uh, uh, that God gives about Abraham in verse 19. I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Hashem by doing righteousness and justice so that Hashem may bring to Abraham what he had promised. So this is the conversation that God is having with himself. Should I hide this from Abraham, what I'm about to do? Uh, he's, uh, I've chosen him so that he will command his children to walk in the ways of righteousness and justice. Should I hide this justice issue that I'm about to execute upon Sodom, right? There's an issue of justice that the Lord has appeared that needs to be taken care of. Should I hide this from Abraham? The man we know later on, he, God's going to call him Abraham, my friend, the friend of God. Right. Should I, Abraham, that I have called him out, he's been walking blameless with me, uh, executing righteousness and justice, and I called him because he would teach his children to do the same thing. Should I hide this from him? And so... Actually, he says, no, I, I, sh I should let him in on this. <laughs> and he says, he says to Avraham, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before Adonai, Hashem. So apparently of the three men, two head on down towards Sodom and this third in appearance man, but who is being identified as Hashem, the Lord, stays to talk to Abraham. And we have then this famous account of Abraham uh, asking if uh, the Lord will destroy the city for 50. Well, what about if there's missing 10? Would you destroy it for 40, etc., etc., etc.? All the way down to the Lord says, if I find 10, I'll spare the city. And 10, of course, is an important number. It's a number of testing, number of, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of judgment. And he says, if I find 10, I'll spare the city. 10th represents the tithe. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of symbolism involved with that 10. Um, the remnant uh, in Isaiah is, is recognized as, as the, the tithe of, of Israel. So, the point here is this one verse uh, where Abraham says, um, "Will shall not the judge of the earth do what's right? So there's this issue of God uh, a gracious and compassionate God forgiving iniquity but not overlooking sin, right? And what we saw in Noah 
was that the intentions of man's heart were evil since his youth, but God put up with them for another 120 years. Even with the story of Abraham, there's something going on with the Amorites already when God talks to Abraham, right? But he says, this is going to go on for 400 more years because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. That there is a patience of God, which in Scripture is often represented as a cup of wrath, right? That is filling up and filling up. And the patience of God is to allow it to fill up. I mean, you and I, if we come to a yesterday's dirty old mug and we see a bunch of junk in the bottom, we're not going to say, oh, let me fill it up some more. And then when it's all, I'll, no, we, we dump it out and clean it up right away. But God's patience is seen in allowing this iniquity to keep rising and keep rising. And he keeps sending, uh, in one way or another, some sort of message, messenger of grace, of a call to repentance, and the cup keeps rising until, finally, it overflows. And this is the judgment of God, right? So, <clears throat> I think um, this is really, the rabbis say about this verse, that's Genesis 18.25, that be far from thee to do after this manner. So, Abraham's speaking to the Lord, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that so the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far off from thee, O God, shall mm -hmm. not the judge of all the earth do justly. And so, you know, Abraham appeals to God's justice, and the rabbis make this comment, it says, Ju this makes justice the main pillar of God's throne. Without it, the whole idea of the divine totters. Justice, it is true, is not the only ethical quality in God or man, nor is it the highest quality, but it is the basis for the, all the others. That which is above justice must be based on justice and include justice and be reached through justice. So I think, you know that not only does this go back to the verse in Genesis 18, uh, 19, where it says that, uh, for, for I have known him, for this is God, I have known Abraham to the end that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. This is, this is God... God knows, like, mm. you know, bombs, God knows they're not 50, 40, 30, 20, even 10 people that are righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. So, you know, it's not so much that what we're seeing is something about God here. We're seeing something about Abraham's commitment to justice and his heart for justice, that, that the righteous not be slain with the wicked. And I think that says something about, you know, this idea, like you were talking about, of being wholehearted for God. That's important in being wholehearted for God is the importance of justice. You know, exactly right, Lee. And, and when you look at this thing um, that, that Abraham Abraham was talking, to, and he asked, is, is there 10 left, you know? And, and, and God said, if there's 10 left, I won't destroy the city. But a little later on, when they come knocking on Lot's house, the, it says in there the whole population, everyone was there. So it goes to tell you that there was no one left. You know, that was that Lot was the only righteous man there, and God saved him. I think that's good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you jumped ahead to uh, let us in on uh, what happened in Sodom. The reality of Sodom's sin... Uh, it has been debated. Um, there is uh, the idea that it is uh, primarily a sexual perversion that's taking place, which we read into uh, the, the account of what happened when the, the men came down and they wanted them to come out that we may know them. Uh, there's that, that word, no. It's an interesting one. Uh, 
God knows Abraham and what's in him. He said, uh, let me go down to Sodom to see what's there and then I will know, right? And now they want to bring the men out to know. So this knowing is, is, is suggests a real intimate understanding, uh, a clear-eyed perception of what's true about a thing or a person, right? And so they, uh, and then it also has represented uh, the word that's used for uh, the sexual relations of Adam with his wife. Adam knew his wife, and it's presumed that that's what it's talking about here, that they want to know the men. They want to have use them for their sexual perversions. Uh, it is a theme that's carried over into our New Testament portion in Second Peter that one of the issue that was at stake was uh, the sensual passions of the people there. And so the condemnation of Sodom and Gomorrah is this overflow of sexual perversion um, but we should always keep in mind behind the sexual perversion is the wrong God, right? Right. And the, the uh, ungodliness, the idolatry, uh, the dedication to, to the wrong leader and authority is what has resulted in the sexual perversion. In addition is this other issue of uh, hospitality. How do you treat strangers? Clearly a very important concept to to Hashem, uh, he, he embodies it in Abraham and how Abraham is this example of a generous host. Um, and then, of course, he, he embeds it in the law when he commands them to treat the strangers among them, the sojourners, those who sojourn with you. They basically are under the same covenant care, commands, responsibilities, and privileges as native-born Israelites. Right. So, our God has this concern. The false gods of Sodom and Gomorrah have no concern. And so there's the, kind of this, this, this dual accumulation of sin going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, it seems. Uh, traditionally, the sexual perversion, but also this idea of inhospitability uh, in the rabbis' uh, teaching. They call out Sodom for its greediness, that this was a wealthy area, uh, full of resources that they were unwilling to share. So God goes down and brings judgment for the inability <laughs> to find 10 righteous people. Well, you know, um, in verse eighteen twenty, it says, And the Lord said, Verily the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and verily their sin is exceeding grievous. So, you know, it really doesn't, you know, sin is sin, and sin grieves God's heart. And he, you're right, he, he says himself that he is slow to anger or long-suffering. God says that he shows that's one of his mm -hmm. characters in Exodus. And, and, you know, it comes from this sense of, of his mercy and his grace and his love that we saw back in Noah, you know, after the flood when he said, you know, man is evil from his youth. I'm not going to destroy the earth by flood again and all its creatures. And here he's again grieved by man's sin, whatever the sin is, whether it's sexual, whether it's mm -hmm. greed, whatever, he is grieved. And Abraham also shows his grief that if injustice is done where the righteous are killed along with the wicked, that it would grieve him. And I think it's saying something about the justice and truth that is really important for us to understand that, you know, first of all, although... We give different sentences, length of sentences to criminals dependent upon their sin, and we might say one sin's worse than another sin. All sin in God's eyes is grievous to him. And any injustice, you know, is also grievous. And I think it's why it's so important why the law and justice become so central in this book as we go on. Mm -hmm. 
and and living in an environment of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, when I think it's God's mercy that he, it is destroyed. You know, I mean, the quality of life in that time with those people had to be terrible, and it, it even tormented, as it says in the scripture, tormented Lot to be around them. Mm-hmm. So you would think that the, that, you know, it's 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 a merciful God that did it, in a sense. Well, yes, if we think about that situation is uh, like a cancer the mm-hmm. merciful thing is to cut it out right right yeah and you know Sodom and Gomorrah play a pretty interesting role in many of Yeshua's discussions uh, he condemns uh, his own generation he says uh, if, if, if Sodom and Gomorrah had, it, had what you have the son of man appearing among you they would have repented uh, so it'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in that day. Um, so the other thing that he talks about is that in the day of his appearing in, in uh, Luke 17, that it will be like it was in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah. People are just going about their business when all of a sudden sulfur and fire are raining down from the sky. That there's not going to be a noticeable difference in the day-to-day life of most people uh, when the Son of Man returns is what he's teaching in Luke right. 17. And so he's, he's, he's warning us in, in a way that we, we probably shouldn't get too judgmental about Sodom and Gomorrah because the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah continues to animate a large part of our world and, and uh, the day-to-day living that most people do. And you know, Jerry, this is, we've talked about this is spiritual warfare between good and evil. And I think uh, Genesis nineteen thirteen, he says, and this says, And the men said unto Lot, so these are the angels of the Lord, that's in 12. Has, <clears throat> he says in 13, For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxed great before the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. So it's interesting that the Lord hears the cry that results from evil, like you're saying, the torment that results from evil, but he also hears the cry of those who love him, you know, uh, you know, like when he comes to Moses in Exodus, he says, I've heard the cry of my people and mm-hmm. I've come yeah. to save them. So, you know, w- w- if we live like all that matters is the material world and that we're not caught up in this great war of good versus evil, of life versus death, then we're not, we're not being conscious of the consequences, the real consequences of our choices. Choose life or good or death or evil. I have put before you the choice, life and good, or death and evil. Choose life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. And, you know, one thing I want to mention that you just said, um, it, it, he, the angels had to grab him by the hand, you know, <laughs> that, that he had to, they, had to they, they knew what was coming, but he didn't, and his wife didn't, of course. But, but sometimes God will deliver us in unexpected ways. You know, and I see this happening right here in, in Lot's life, and I think about the book of Jeremiah, when when they're inside the fortress and and Jeremiah is telling the righteous people within the poor fort, go give yourselves up to the to the Babylonians, mm-hmm. and that doesn't make any sense. Right. But God will deliver His people th- through unexpected ways. We just got to make sure we have a listening ear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, an interesting uh, wordplay, I guess, takes place here uh, regarding Lot's. Uh, potential his future sons-in-law at the end of uh, verse 14 uh, he says uh, well the verse says Lot went out and told his sons-in-law up get out of this place for Hashem is about to destroy the city but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting that's our laughing word that gives us the name Isaac wow Mm. sarcastic Mm mm-hmm yeah and so there's a lot of laughter in this uh, section here. There's Abraham laughed and Sarah laughed, and now these guys are laughing, and finally laughter, real godly laughter, is going to be born. Isn't that something? Good point. 
a, a note of mercy we were talking about uh, in the, even in the midst of judgment. Uh, lot, lot. You know, Lot's an interesting character to think about. Uh, he he is this identified as a righteous man, but he had kind of settled in Sodom and Gomorrah, which meant that uh, he might have uh, rejected a lot of what they did on the inside, but he tolerated it on the outside, mm-hmm. right? Um, and even as, as the angels are hurrying him off, he seems slow to go, if not completely reluctant. And then he, they say, we need to get completely out of here. And he says, I don't think I can make it that far. What about this little city over here? And so uh, they, they, he, sa- he says, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go there, but we, we got to get there because we can't start our job until you're, you're in a safe place, basically, is, is what they're saying. And so uh, they go to a little town called Zoar, and uh, Lot is spared there as the fire and hail rain down. But if Lot had not been there, Zoar was destined for destruction along with the other cities of the plain, right. Sodom and Gomorrah. So even in the midst of this, this, this terrible judgment that God did spare the city, the little city, uh, for, this, for the presence of one righteous man. Good point, Jerry. All right, we're moving on because we got a lot to cover and we got to get to the Akiva. All right, so so, um, we get to uh, verse or chapter 21. We'll we'll just jump there. Uh, We have the sad story of Lot and his two daughters and basically the birth of two future enemies of Israel, Ammon and Moab. Uh, We have another incident where Abraham is... uh, is pretending his wife is his sister. Uh, but then we finally get to chapter 21, and it says, Hashem visited Sarah, as he said, and he did to Sarah as he had promised. So there's that uh, God's word and God's action based upon his word. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, And he circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah said, remember this was Sarah who had laughed skeptically. Now she's saying, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So here is the son of promise. Uh, that he will become a, a, a key figure in Paul's argument in uh, uh, Galatians later on about how the, the son of the slave woman cannot live with the son of the free woman. Uh, in fact, God instructs Abraham to drive Ishmael out after a conflict in which uh, Sarah sees Ishmael mocking uh, Isaac uh, making fun of him, teasing him, taunting him, doing big half-brother stuff that uh, we might consider normal. Uh, God says, no, you need to drive Ishmael out. And of course, this breaks uh, Abraham's heart. But he says, he lets him know again, I, I've called your offspring through Isaac. And so we get to the point in Isaac's life and some debate about his age exactly. He's not a kid. He's not a little boy. Uh, He's big enough and strong enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice. He knows what's going on. Um, Most people that I've ever heard uh, would take that Hebrew word and peg him for a late teen or early 20s kind of person. Uh, The rabbis actually say that he was 37 years old uh, based on an assumption about uh, Sarah uh, Sarah died thinking that Isaac had been slaughtered so that uh, the time between uh, her giving birth and the age at which she died comes out to 37. So they base that on that. In either case, the truth is uh, Isaac was a willing participant Okay, in, in what was about to happen, that he uh, went obediently with his father, and he intended to uh, go along with whatever his father uh, planned to do. 
before before we just get to that i b- before we leave the 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 story of uh hagar and sarah and ishmael i think it's important because of what you pointed out about uh the dome of the rock in the beginning being you know this sacred place and the in <clears throat> the quran saying that it was ishmael that actually was put on the altar and you know obviously the torah says isaac you know and there's it seems like this conflict between ishmaelites modern mm-hmm. arabs and jews you know goes all the way back here which is unbelievable when you think about how long ago but we need to look at that because what does it say about uh what does it say about the father abraham and god the father here because it says wherefore she sarah said unto abraham this is genesis 21 10 cast out this bondwoman that's hagar and her son that's ishmael for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son even with isaac so there we see you know two mothers one a wife one a bondwoman two sons fighting over who's going to be the heir you know not that uncommon in in our society and the thing was very grievous in abraham's sight on account of his son So, because there you see this word grievous that had to do with justice back, he, Abraham, experienced this as an injustice. But let's see what God says in in, in Genesis 21, 12. And God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, that's Ishmael, and because of thy bondwoman, Hagar. And all that Sarah says unto you, hearken unto her voice for an Isaac shall seed be called to thee so the Mm -hmm. god the father says okay you know listen to sarah this is my path for your for for the for your seed for this seed of redemption to play forward and then he says, and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. And so it goes on and they, you know, he gets water and, and, and Hagar weeps. And then in 17, says, and God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, said unto her, what, what aileth thee? Hagar, fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him fast by thy hand, for I will make him a great nation. So, you know, God the Father, when it comes to justice here, it there's like two points. One is, yes, there is a separation, and Isaac is the, the keeper of the promise, right? Mm-hmm. And I also, and the second point is I'm also going to be just unto Ishmael and make of him a great nation. So, you know, in this tribal battle of Isaac and Ishmael that's still going on, or Sarah and Hagar, if it comes from the mothers, my son deserves it, your son doesn't, we need to get past that because God the Father loves us all if through faith we accept his plan for redemption and salvation which we've seen the whole story is through yeshua and it's not yeshua just for the circumcision the jews it's yeshua for the uncircumcision and the circumcision as we talked about last week so it's yeshua for the arabs the ishmaelites and yeshua for the jews and they both have to open their eyes, have the scales peel back off of their eyes, and and read the book and mm-hmm. see that this is God's plan for redeeming all nations, for fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant, that through Abraham all nations will be blessed. This isn't a war between Sarah and Hagar anymore or, or Isaac and Ishmael. There's one path to salvation. 
Well, when you say it's not a war between them, no, the war actually is pushed back uh, all the way to good and evil. Uh, Satan, Satan, the adversary, and God, it began in the garden, and it will end with the return of Yeshua. And what we're seeing is this particular uh, iteration of it, and it is ongoing, and it is, it has been around for a long time. Uh, it has its seeds here. But, you know, uh, where we are today is really a product of uh, Muhammad and creating a new religion uh, from some Bible stories and his own uh, Arabic background. Um, choosing Ishmael uh, is in some ways really appropriate when we think that behind Muhammad's um, creation of this religion is really the enemy, Satan, uh, trying to create something that will compete with and uh, overcome and defeat God's true path. And so what I was thinking about uh, is th here's the Akedah. And the history of the Akedah, according to Jewish tradition, this is almost 2,000 years of history that we're looking at, right? As opposed to somebody coming along in the 600s AD and taking the Akedah and giving it a whole new history. Yes. And saying, no, it wasn't Isaac who was sacrificed by Father Abraham. It was really Ishmael. And you can see behind that is, is the impetus to, if you, if, again, if you, if you understand the history of what was taking place, Muhammad is trying to unify all of the disparate Arab tribes. What's a story that I can tell, right? What's an origin story that will bring everybody together? And what I realized in thinking about that is, you know, if Satan is behind the creation of this. Here's the interesting thing I, I was thinking about. Satan is a counterfeiter. He is not creative. He is not original, but rather he is derivative and imitative. In other words, Satan does not create out of nothing. Satan takes what God has put in place and he comes up with a counterfeit of it. And this is exactly what we see taking place in the story of Revelation when the enemy is trying to deceive. What does he come up with? He comes up with the false prophet. He comes up with uh, the Antichrist, these counterfeit personages that are meant to mimic or mirror Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's a counterfeiter. And, I, you know, it, it's, it's strong medicine to have to say this out loud in our culture and in our time, but we're going to maintain that Islam is counterfeit. It's a false religion. And the truth is found in the scripture. Amen. And, and, and you can't help, as we discuss the Akedah, but see the foreshadowing of Yeshua and his, and the crucifixion on the cross and his sacrifice and that this is the fulfillment mm -hmm. of God's provision and his promise and his protection of the promise and it's not and as we talked about last week from Romans 4 this is not some tribal ownership right this is God's plan for redeeming all people who choose by faith to through faith to believe in it and trust in the promise of salvation because all men are created in the image of God and that's what gives them the uh, the right to the dignity that comes with and the justice that is required from being created in the image of God it doesn't matter the tribe right and I think it's important to note that, that uh, Abraham had eight sons and three different wives or, or concubines, whatever. But it's through Sarah that God made that promise. You know, it's through your line. And he, he changed her name to Sarah. 
confirming the promise that those nations coming from you were the ones that are going to be blessed. Right. The New Testament teaching uh, makes it clear that God chose Sarah for the specific reason that her body was dead. Yes. That he might show what we would say is some version of resurrection life, right? To, to, to breathe enough life back into those organs to, to make them uh, fertile for this one time, right? Um, golly, I, my, my, my train jumped the tracks. Oh, I know what it was. Going back to the Akeda then, and we should point out then the, the details of the Akeda that Isaac is the faithful son uh, and he, he, you know, as, as they climb this mountain, as we've pointed out, this is the mount. This is the disputed territory today, the Temple Mount. That as they're going up, uh, he notices we've got the wood, we've got the fire, we've got the knife. <laughs> Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb, right? And so they go up the mountain and Isaac uh, allows himself to be tied up and bound and placed in the spot where the sacrifice would take place. If he didn't know before who the lamb was, he certainly had an idea by then. And still he lays there. Still he trusts in his father. And we know the story that as, I, as Abraham is about to plunge the knife into his son, the angel of the Lord calls out and says, Stop! And Abraham uh, turns and he sees the ram caught in the thicket. And he takes... Isaac, and he unbinds him, and he offers the ram instead. What that says to us when we read the whole story of the Old Testament to the end and then continue reading the New Testament continuation of that story is that this is the perfect picture, the perfect foreshadowing of the Father telling the son you are the lamb and of Yeshua we see him in the garden in agony if this cup could pass from me let it be so but yet not my will but thine so Isaac the obedient son who allows himself to be bound Jesus the obedient son who allows himself to be taken prisoner and to endure the torture and the persecution that befell him to endure the crucifixion because the lamb that God intended all along was Yeshua who is portrayed in the New Testament as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Isn't it interesting that Abraham said God will provide his lamb but the animal that is caught up in the thorns is not a lamb but a ram. What I find interesting in the discussion about the Akeda and is it Isaac or is it Ishmael is that the Akeda with Isaac has this very clear, strong foreshadowing element that there is a reality that it's pointing to, but there's no corresponding reality if we put Ishmael there. There is nobody who died for sins. There is nobody who took the place. And so we have the father offering up his son in Abraham's case in perfect trust and obedience to Hashem. And in the case of the triune God, the overflowing love of God offering up his own son in the place of sinful people all embodied or signified, symbolized in this offering in Genesis chapter 22. It's just a remarkable foreshadowing, a remarkable picture of what God intended to do when he sent Yeshua to be born of a virgin and to live his perfect life, to work his miracles, to speak his words, and then to offer himself up willingly and obediently as Isaac had, to the will of the Father, entrusting himself entirely to the goodness and the graciousness and the compassion and the plan of the sovereign God. Just beautiful. You know, uh, it, the, the, 
we you pointed out that Isaac is certainly not a child. You said maybe 37, but he's certainly old enough to carry the wood. We know mm-hmm. that the scripture's not silent on that. And so he was certainly strong enough to carry the wood. He probably was strong enough not to be bound if he didn't want to by Abraham. Right. And certainly not to lie down on the altar. So, you know, yes, there's a lot of scriptural silence about Isaac's mind, where was his mind was. But, you know, um, you and I had talked about how would how did Abraham and how did Isaac, how could they trust in the promise of God enough? How could they demonstrate this faith? How could the father demonstrate the faith to sacrifice the son? How could the son go willingly onto the altar? Where, what was the source of faith that, that's, that is that strong? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't help but think that they believed in resurrection at that point. And, you know, the, one of the interesting things, and we don't have time to get into this, is that the Haftorah for this portion is from Kings, and it's the story of Elisha lying on the son of the Sunanite woman after the son has been dead and and resurrecting him. You know, and, and, and this is this is what the Jewish scholars or whoever put the Haftor with the Torah, which was long ago, put with this Torah portion. So there definitely had to be a belief, a faith that there is more to life then, you know, the death of the body is the end of life, and that 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 the 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 promise of eternal life was there through the the call it the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. It's not the crucifixion because you know it's being burned on the altar to ashes, but you know it it is it is the remarkable pattern and you know just my machumash says in genesis 22:8 it says and abraham said is it well 22:7 is so beautiful and isaac spoke unto abraham his father and said my father and he said here i am my son and he said behold the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for a burnt offering and abraham said God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Mm-hmm. So God does provide himself God. as the burnt offering for, as the crucifixion for our sins, as a payment and atonement for our sins Amen. through Yeshua. Amen. Yeah, they definitely uh, had a sense of resurrection and afterlife job recognized it and he predates abraham by at least three four five hundred years and the new testament writer in hebrews makes it very clear that abraham believed that even if isaac had perished that god would raise him back to life so resurrection uh was 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 a held belief so again we want to make the point that god has a role for people and his role for Isaac was to be the bearer of the promise to um, lead to salvation in Yeshua. The role for Ishmael, that wasn't his role. His role was to become a great nation. But in becoming a great nation, he was subjected to the promise that in Abraham's seed all nations would be blessed. He became subjected to the promise that through Isaac, the, 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 the fulfillment of the promise would come. And so God's call we've, we've talked about is not just to any particular tribe, but it's to all people. It's to every nation that God has designated a role for the Jewish people to be the conveyor <laughs> of salvation and to bring forth the Messiah. But he was not meant to be confined strictly to the Jewish people but he came for all people. So we want to invite you as we close, if you don't know Yeshua, doesn't matter if you're Jewish, not Jewish, whatever, 
God's call is the same. As a sinner, you need to be forgiven. You need your sins cleansed. And God has provided the forgiveness and the cleansing you need in offering up his own son, Yeshua. He died on the tree that you might have life. If that's where you are right now, uh, please uh, pray with me. Father, thank you for Yeshua. Thank you for his offering that through him I could receive forgiveness. I ask you now, in Jesus' name, to cleanse me and apply his righteousness to my account. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you send into me. And I ask that by his power I would live a life that's pleasing in your sight. For your honor and glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next week.